Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When reading or listening about historical characters, I find it's much easier to visualise them if they have been depicted in a film or on TV. Some of today's main characters, Ferdinand I of Leon and Castile, and his sons Sancho and Alfonso, are key characters in the Hollywood epic El Cid. If you haven't already seen this film, or not seen it for a few years... I'd say it's well worth a watch, even if not entirely historically accurate. Welcome to a history of Europe. Key battles. The fall of Toledo in 1085, part 3 of 4. By the late 1050s, the kingdoms of Castile and Aragon were developing into the two most powerful kingdoms of Christian Spain. First today I will talk about the Kingdom of Aragon. Unlike the situation in Castile, where there was more than enough land for the sparse population, if Romero II of Aragon wanted to strengthen his kingdom, he would need to expand its territory. Hemmed in by Navarre to the west, Catalonia in the east and French lands to the north, he decided the best option was to target the lands of Muslim-held Zaragoza to the south. But Zaragoza was to be no pushover. It was a rich, well-organised state, occupying a large area of the east midlands of the peninsula, bordering Castile, Navarre and Catalonia, as well as Aragon. Having absorbed the taifas of Tortosa and Denia, it held a long stretch of coast on the Mediterranean and was also paid tribute by the taifa of Valencia. Since the breakup of the Caliphate, Zaragoza had a complicated history involving competition with adjacent regions and a transfer of power from one dynasty to another. Its ruler in the 1060s was an Arab of Yemeni origin by the name of Al-Muqtadir. As patron of the sciences, philosophy and the arts, Al-Muqtadir brought his kingdom to its political and cultural apogee, rivaled only in Islamic Spain by the Taifa of Seville. Among other achievements, he had constructed the magnificent palace of Al-Khafariya, today used by the regional parliament of the autonomous community of Aragon. However, Zaragoza, due to its geographical position, shared borders with numerous states, both Christian and Muslim, which coveted its wealth and lands. 
to some of these neighbours, Al-Muqtadir was compelled to pay parias in return for not being attacked. But with so many demands on his resources, he had to make choices. Looking at the options, he decided to form an alliance with his most powerful Christian neighbour, Ferdinand of Castile. Ferdinand received exclusive payment of parias instead of sharing them among other Christian kingdoms. In return, he provided military support for the defence of Zaragoza. It was in Castile's interest to provide protection for its new ally in order to keep the payments coming in, by far its most important source of revenue. And so when Ramiro II launched an attack on the fortified town of Graus in the north of the kingdom of Zaragoza, he found himself not only up against a force of Muslims, but also an army of his Christian rival, Castile. Among the Castilian troops was the eldest son of King Ferdinand, Sancho, and accompanying Sancho was a young man about 20 years of age by the name of Rodrigo Diez de Vibar, a soldier who we will hear more about later. He is known in Spanish as El Campeador, the champion, and this is how he is referred to in all contemporary accounts. Only in the following century is he referred to in surviving documents as El Cid, from the Arab meaning the Lord. But since this is how he is most widely known in the English-speaking world, El Cid is the term I will use here. Before leaving for Graus, Ramiro convened the gathering of the leading nobles and clergymen and announced that he was moving the episcopal seat of Aragon from its current location in the capital Iaca to Huesca, a large town at the time in the hands of the Moors. In this way the king made it clear his ambitions went further than just this one border fortress. Al-Muqtadir took the threat seriously leading an army himself to defend his border, accompanied by Sancho. Ramiro arrived outside the walls of Graus in May 1063. Very little is known about the battle that ensued, or even if a serious engagement took place at all. But something important did take place. An Arab enemy spy named Sadaro, somehow managed to infiltrate the Aragonese camp. Nobody seemed to suspect his intentions. As soon as Sadaro was close enough to Ramiro, he unsheathed his sword and struck out at him. The assassin was immediately cut down himself, but it was too late. The king lay mortally wounded, and the battle was lost. The Aragonese troops returned home. With the death of his last surviving brother, Ferdinand of Castile was now unquestionably the most powerful ruler of all Christian lands in Spain, and now arguably over the whole peninsula. He had also recently extended his kingdom into areas of modern-day Portugal, at the expense of Muslim neighbours. And later, in 1063, the same year as Graus, a Castilian army penetrated deep into Muslim territory, extorting money first from the Taifa of Merida, and then even the most southern and most powerful of all Taifas, Seville.
but if Ferdinand thought the conflict between Zaragoza and Aragon was decided, then he was wrong. The son and successor of Ramiro, named Sancho Ramirez, was as determined and ambitious as his father, and turned out as well to be a skilled diplomat. The new leader of Aragon, realising that for his kingdom to make a successful move against Zaragoza, he would have to break Al-Muqtadir's alliance with Castile. An idea arose within the Aragonese court. Next time they launched an invasion against Zaragoza, this time against the strategic fortified town of Barbastro, it would be declared as a crusade. It can be seen by the course of rent so far that although religion had always played a major part in the wars of Spain ever since the first Muslim invasion in 711, religious differences were often superseded by other factors. Muslim rulers frequently allied with Christians to fight fellow Muslims, and Christian rulers were not averse to allying with Muslims against their fellow Christians if it was in their immediate interest to do so. The idea of crusade was in line with current thinking elsewhere in Europe. Although mainly seen in relation to the Holy Land in the Middle East, there was a growing feeling in Western Europe of the necessity to confront Islam, wherever the infidels may pose a threat to good Christians. In 1062, for example, the year before the murder of Ramiro II, Pope Alexander II blessed the Norman conquest of Sicily, then in Muslim hands. Sancho Ramirez of Aragon used his kingdom's traditional close links with the papacy to convince Alexander of the merits of the idea. The Pope agreed to approve the venture and declared indulgencies for its participants. And so began the so-called Crusade of Barbastro, a campaign that would act as a forerunner to the official crusades directed at Jerusalem 30 years later. Hundreds of European knights answered the call to arms and crossed the Pyrenees into Aragon to take part in holy war. They arrived from Catalonia, Normandy, Aquitaine, and as far afield as Italy. Among the participants were William VIII, Duke of Aquitaine, the Norman leaders Robert Crespin and William of Montreal, the Count of Urgell and the Bishop of Vich. Although the chronicles are not clear on the exact numbers who arrived to fight at Barbastro, there was no doubt that there was a substantial mobilisation of European knights. As for Ferdinand of Aragon, he felt he had no choice but to forsake his former ally rather than incur the outrage of the Pope and his fellow Christians. The armies of Aragon combined with those of the Crusaders and arrived at Barbastro in the early summer of 1064. The numerically smaller Muslim forces had no option but to try to defend the town from behind its walls. The Christian army began a siege and cut off the town's water supply. 
After forty days, the besieged, without water or provisions, surrendered, and the town was handed over to the Count of Urgel, in the name of the king, Sancho Ramirez. Although the defenders were guaranteed safe conduct, the Christians fell upon them as they left the city and slaughtered them. Muslim women were violated, young boys and girls seized as slaves, and anything of value plundered. Such behaviour exemplified the difference in the attitudes of those Christians who had continual contact with Muslims and those who did not. The zeal and the fanaticism of the latter contrasted sharply with the comparative tolerance of the former. Thus the nature of the crusade created the same kind of tensions which would act as a foretaste of those in the Holy Land thirty years later. Another source of tension was the lack of clarity regarding under whose authority conquered lands were to be held. Would the leaders of the crusader armies become vassals to the king of Aragon, or were they to be subject directly to the authority of the Pope, in practice independent? The question, as it turned out, proved academic, because the conquest of Barbastro was very short-lived. The king of Zaragoza, Al-Muqtadiyah, conscious of the strategic importance of Barbastro, reacted quickly to the town's capture. He personally led a counter-crusade, one might describe it as a jihad, to retake the town. Muslim chroniclers describe how he was assisted by several thousand Muslim soldiers from around the peninsula, especially from Seville. The defence of Barbastro was assigned to the Count of Urgel, but as a military man, lacking any political skills, the town fell into chaos. The Count was not helped that many of the Crusaders, as soon as they collected their booty, returned as fast as they could back home. Al-Muqtadiyah took full advantage and besieged Barbastro in the spring of 1065. It did not take his army long to break down the walls and retake the town. Without mercy, all its defenders were slaughtered and its entire population sold into slavery. The crusade had ended in disaster. For Sancho Ramirez of Aragon, however, events overall had not turned out too badly. Despite the loss of Barbastro, he had gained other territory in the region, most notably the fortified town of Alcazar, which could be used as a vanguard for further attacks in the near future. And over the next years, a steady stream of European adventurers, especially from Normandy, Aquitaine and southern France, continued to arrive in Aragon to help fight the infidel. As for Al-Muqtadir of Zaragoza, having received no military support from Castile against the attacks from Aragon, he understandably came to the conclusion that if Ferdinand had not carried out his side of the bargain, then neither would he. So he refused to pay the protection money. Ferdinand, still the most powerful Christian ruler in Spain, responded by personally leading a massive army along the Ebro Valley towards Zaragoza to demand payment. 
Al-Muqtariya, on hearing of the size and strength of the approaching army, had no choice but to concede. Ferdinand accepted the payment, and with his troops already mobilised, and in Zaragoza, made the decision to continue on to Valencia. An attempt on this mighty city was a highly ambitious move, but if successful would bring enormous benefits. The Leonese Castilian Kingdom would then extend from Spain's northern coast across to the eastern coast on the Mediterranean. Islamic Spain would be divided in two, and the other Christian states, Aragon, Navarre, and Barcelona, would be bottled up in the northeast corner. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. The Taifa of Valencia at the time was led by a great-grandson of Almanzor by the name of Abd al-Malik. As one of the smaller Muslim states, it had neither the army nor the resources to to defend itself against a full-scale invasion from Castile. Town after town fell until Ferdinand reached the walls of the capital city. It seemed certain that Valencia was about to fall, but instead, at the last moment, it was saved. Ferdinand suddenly became ill and, realising that he was dying, ordered his troops to lift the siege and returned home. The king arrived back at Lyon on Christmas Eve, 1065, and passed away on the 27th of December. After a reign of 26 years and six months, King Ferdinand I, the Great, of Leon and Castile, was probably the most powerful Christian monarch in Spain since the time of the Visigoths. His death would trigger the all-too-common warfare between his sons for succession, but without doubt he had laid important foundations for his kingdom to become the key player in the history of the peninsula for the rest of the Middle Ages. The eldest son of Ferdinand, Sancho II, who we have already met defending Zaragoza, received the Kingdom of Castile, and also the tributes owed by the King of Zaragoza. The second son, Alfonso VI, his father's favourite, received the Kingdom of Leon and the tributes of Toledo. Alfonso had a temperament different from his elder brother which reflected the difference in character of the land he inherited. Less warlike and more politically minded. Closer to Europe and less traditional. This will be seen by his later efforts to substitute the traditional Mozarabic rite of his kingdom 
with that of the Romans, the version of Christianity quickly gaining dominance in Western Europe. In 1067, he arranged to marry Agatha, a daughter of William of Normandy, who the year before had conquered England. But when Agatha passed away before the wedding, he instead married the daughter of William, Duke of Aquitaine. The third son, 23-year-old Garcia, was awarded the Kingdom of Galicia and the District of Portugal, with the tributes of Badajoz and Seville and the king's daughter, Uraca, received the strategic city of Zamora, until she married, in which case it would be forfeited. Sancho, as the eldest, was displeased that he had to share the inheritance, and soon took steps to rectify what he considered to be a grave injustice. Determined to subordinate the whole of Christian Spain to his rule, Sancho II of Castile set out to assert his preeminence over his neighbours and to deprive his brothers of their share in the partition. He compelled al muqtadir to renew the payments of tribute, but his claims on Zaragoza were disputed by both Navarre and Aragon. He then quarrelled with his brother Alfonso VI, whom he defeated at Lantara in 1068 although he gained no territory or immediate benefit. Sancho next turned his attention on his youngest brother. He marched into Galicia, deposed and imprisoned Garcia, then forced him into exile in Seville. Soon afterwards, Sancho and Alfonso again met on the battlefield. On the first day of the battle, it was the Leonese army of Alfonso who was successful. They forced Sancho and his enemy to flee, but in the fading evening light decided not to press home their advantage. But the Castilians had not given up. Early the next morning, with El Cid as a senior commander, they launched a surprise attack. They captured many of the enemy and killed many others. Alfonso fled the battlefield but was soon captured. Sancho had the choice now to have his brother put to death or to imprison him indefinitely. But their sister, Uraca, who had always been close to Alfonso, pleaded for leniency. Sancho backed down and allowed Alfonso to seek exile in Toledo. And so, on the 12th of January, 1072, Sancho arrived in Lyon to claim the kingdom for his own. Maybe he expected a triumphant entrance, but instead he received a very cold reception. It appears that Alfonso was still popular, and the takeover of Lyon was not to be as straightforward as expected. Many of the Leonese barons simply refused to accept Sancho as their new ruler. In the city of Zamora, controlled by his elder sister, Uraca, the supporters of Alfonso gathered defiantly. Sancho could not allow Zamora to remain in the hands of rivals. The city, much fought over earlier between Muslims and Christians, was situated in a key strategic point on the road between Galicia and Leon. 
it was surrounded by impressive fortifications, which had been dismantled by Almanzor in the 10th century, but then rebuilt to their former glory. So in the spring of 1072, the army of Castile, commanded by El Cid, rushed from Burgos to Zamora, it is said covering 270 kilometres in only five days. El Cid tried to persuade Uraca to allow entry to the city, but he was refused, and so a siege began that lasted several months. Among the troops of Castile was an individual by the name of Velidu Dolifos, who had deserted Zamora. Over time he gained the confidence of Sancho and accompanied him everywhere. But Velido Dolfos was a traitor. As soon as he found a convenient moment, when just the two of them were together inspecting the outside walls of Zamora, he took his sword and stabbed the king in the back. It is said that El Cid, on hearing of the instance, rushed to pursue the assassin. But he was too late. The murderer escaped into the city through a gate, which was conveniently left open. For centuries, the gate was known as the Gate of Treachery. Later, the Zamorans took a different point of view on the act and renamed it the Gate of Loyalty. After all, one man's traitor is often another man's hero. The location of the murder is marked today by the so-called Cross of King Don Sancho. Uraka was suspected of ordering her brother's assassination, but the truth of who was behind the act is not known. Alfonso promptly returned from Toledo to retake possession of the Kingdom of Leon, and since his brother had died without children, to claim Castile as well. The Castilian nobility, led by El Cid, Sancho's chief military commander, suspected Alfonso of complicity in the assassination, and before accepting him as sovereign, required him to swear an oath that he had no hand in the deed. It was a time when oaths were taken extremely seriously. Only ten years before, an oath given by Harold Godwinson in support of William of Normandy was the justification given for the latter's invasion of England. Later in the year, Garcia, the third brother, returned to Galicia, but Alfonso arrested him and kept him prisoner until his death 18 years later. Not for the first time the kingdoms of Christian Spain had been reunited through deceit and violence. By adopting the title Rex Hispaniae thereafter, Alfonso indicated his pretensions to supremacy throughout the peninsula. El Cid was admitted into Alfonso VI's favour and became his vassal. It would have been understandable if the two men did not trust each other, having previously fought on opposing sides. In actual fact, sources indicated that at first they enjoyed a good relationship. Over time, though, tensions between them rose. When El Cid was given the task of collecting tribute from the King of Seville, he encountered a separate Castilian army who was attacking Seville. 
It is unclear whether King Alfonso had given his two generals conflicting instructions, or if there was some misunderstanding. Anyway, El Cid, feeling closer bound to his pledge to protect Seville in exchange for the tributes received, than to the loyalty to his fellow Castilians, fought and defeated the separate Castilian army, resulting in many deaths. Alfonso was probably highly displeased that his two generals had come to blows, expecting his men to at least avoid a full-scale battle. It is open to much debate as to why the final rupture occurred between El Cid and his king. The event which seems the most likely to have caused the break occurred in 1080. El Cid, having repelled an incursion by Andalusian troops in Christian territory, chased the intruders back over the border. He then went on to sack some towns within the territory of Toledo, which at the time was supposed to be under the protection of Castile. King Alfonso was furious, feeling he could no longer trust El Cid, and exiled him from Castilian lands. At first, Rodrigo sought employment at the court of Barcelona, but was turned down. So he instead went to Zaragoza, and agreed to assist Al-Muqtadir in putting down a rebellion of the king's brother. Next week I will complete the story of early medieval Spain with the fall of Toledo in 1085. Don't forget, this podcast now has its own Facebook site. Just search for A History of Europe, Key Battles within Facebook. Give it a like and keep up to date with news, information and images related to the podcast. You can also visit the blog at www.historyeurope.net or send me an email to carl at historyeurope.net Thank you for listening to A History of Europe Key Battles. Please join me next week for the final part of the Fall of Toledo 1085. Until then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.